Welcome to our visitors who are here for the holiday weekend. To those that are uh, worshiping with us online, welcome to you as well. And to all of those uh, that are away, we certainly want to uh, keep them in our prayers and we'll welcome you back uh, very soon. If I had said uh, and advertised, come to West Irwin Church of Christ on September 3rd, 2023, and our preacher Bill Allen is going to tell you the secret of life. Do you think that would get people's attention? Maybe. They may look at each other and say, okay, we're definitely going somewhere else Sunday. But we all worry about the big questions, right? We don't think about them all the time because they're, they're too big. They're too big. We can't emotionally and mentally handle that. It's too much physically and emotionally and mentally. But we do consider them, right? The big questions. What's the purpose in life? Why are we here? Why am I here? How did that all happen? And, and what does that mean for me today? And how I live my life today? How, how does that all fit together? And so I can tell you that there was a movie a while back where we actually got that answered. Uh, the movie was City Slickers. Um, Billy Crystal played a character by the name of Mitch, who was a husband and a dad. And uh, uh, Jack Palance played uh, an, an old cowboy by the name of Curly. And somewhere in that movie, um, Mitch and Curly developed a bond, a relationship. And, I, and we know about when it was. It was when they were off by themselves on this big adventure that ended up them coming back with a brand new calf that was born out there. But along that way, as they built that relationship with each other, uh, Curly looked over at Mitch and he said, do you know what the secret of life is? And Mitch said, no, I know I don't. Do you want to know? Well, yeah, yeah, I do. I do want to know. And he says, it's one thing, one thing. The secret of life is one thing. And Mitch looks at Curly and says, Okay, well, what is it? And he says, well, you're going to have to find that out on your own. (laughs) Well, the Apostle Paul would agree with part of that. He would agree that the secret of life, the purpose of life is one thing. But if Curly was saying what our current culture says, which is, It's different for everybody, and everybody has to figure that out for themselves, what their particular secret to life is, what their particular purpose in life is. I'm pretty sure that the Apostle Paul would not agree with that. The joy of purpose. As we're looking through the book of Philippians on Sunday mornings, we realize that it's a book about joy, which is amazing Because it's written by an apostle of Jesus Christ who had been persecuted throughout his Christian life because of his faith. And at the time of writing, he was in the the center of the pagan Roman Empire in Rome itself under house arrest, not knowing whether he would be released or convicted and put to death. And so he writes this epistle to people that he's very close to that have been supportive of him through prayer and through finances and was the first church that Paul founded in uh, on the continent of Europe, in modern-day Greece, the northern uh, district of Macedonia. After hearing that Macedonian call, 
And he goes to this city of Philippi and ministers with them. And then later on, he writes this epistle to the Philippians. And in the midst of this, he, he becomes very autobiographical. I like singer-songwriters that are autobiographical. Uh, Neil Diamond, John Denver, Billy Joel. I, I like uh, those kinds of, of artists that tell not just a story in their songs, but tell their story in their songs. Well, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul gets autobiographical. And he does it as he's considering the joy of purpose. Talking about what you live for. What is that one thing that will bring you ultimate joy throughout your life? That the circumstances of life, whether they're great or bad, cannot affect ultimately. And Paul struggles with that. And so we're going to take part in his struggle. Because we share the things that he went through. And we also share a very close connection, I think, to the city and the church at Philippi. So first of all, in verses 1 through 6, he speaks about my old purpose. As we're considering that question, what is the secret of life? What, where can I find the joy of purpose in my life? We do what Paul does, and that is, let's think about my old purpose. Let's think about the journey a little bit, what we've been on. And that starts in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. And now he's going to tell us what those are. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. For Paul, this was his old purpose. And as we read his words, we think about ourselves. And Paul is a Jew, as he says, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Very Jewish. Saul of Tarsus. Learned at the feet of Gamaliel at a very young age. Was rising up in the ranks of Jewish leadership in the first century to near the top. He had become the point man for persecuting the church. And that's what he talks about here. As he recounts all of where he's been. And he says, look, if some of those Jews, if, if other people want to know about what it means to develop your own righteousness and your own purpose, your, I, can, I can have that conversation. Especially relating to Judaism. Circumcised on the eighth day, just as uh, God commanded Abraham. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe that was the tribe that the first king of Israel came from, King Saul. In regard to the law of Pharisee, and you know the Pharisees, they were very strict on the law. They knew the law better than anyone. 
Jesus would tell them that they didn't exactly follow it, but they knew it. As for zeal, verse 6, persecuting the church. No one was more zealous and passionate than Paul. We spoke this morning in our Bible classes, some of them about uh, that great passage in Luke 9, verse 23, where Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow after me. And for most of the Jews, they couldn't accept that this Messiah, this Savior, this one that they'd been looking forward to for generations, had been convicted as a criminal by their Jewish leaders and sent to the Romans and crucified on a cross. That was too much. And for Paul, that was too much. He considered it blasphemy. And so he persecuted the church with every ounce of his being. No one worked harder to end the church before it hardly ever got a chance to get going than Saul of Tarsus. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul said, you talk about the law and law keeping, I did it. I did it. My old purpose, I don't know what yours is, but for Paul, he lists several things. He talks about my position, my accomplishments, my righteousness, my, my, my. And I don't know what it is for you, but with your old purpose, before Christ in your life, you had that. It's centered on your accomplishments. It's centered on your position. It's centered on, centered on your own personal righteousness. As for keeping the law, Paul says, faultless. He looked back to those things that he knew he did well. And that's Paul's list. What's yours? As you think back on your life before Christ, as you think back on that time before you let that blood of Jesus that we remembered in communion and that we have sung songs about today be the source of your righteousness. What did you rely on? Well, you could say the same thing that Paul did. My position, my accomplishments, my righteousness. This is what I have done. Or this is what I have not done. The bad things. That's Paul's list. What's yours? That's his old purpose. What's yours? And is it different today? Well, the passage continues and goes from my old purpose to my new purpose. In the strength of this passage, in these very meaningful verses 7 through 14. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. That's the old purpose. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. That's a righteousness you can't get by your good life, no matter how good. Verse 10, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. We're getting to that one thing for Paul, aren't we? 
Verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Now we're there. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. My new purpose starts with the righteousness of God, and it's the righteousness of God that comes by faith. Not by keeping of law, whatever the law. It can't be attained by our good works. And this is what Paul finally found out. You say, but wait a minute, Bill. He said as, as far as keeping the law, he was faultless. And that's right. But the thing the law could not do is provide forgiveness of sins. And where Paul had failed, where he had fallen, where he had sinned, not only was he at fault, but he was lost. And he was only expecting punishment. The law keeping that he was involved in could not bring about the righteousness of God that comes by faith. And it's the righteousness of God that Kelly reminded us of a few moments ago. Taking us to Romans 5 and to Isaiah 53. To that one who suffered and died for us. Why? Because we couldn't do it on our own. Our righteousness is not good enough. All of the things that we did that God wanted us to do, all of the things that we didn't do that God didn't want us to do, they can't save us because we did not do them perfectly. Perhaps like Paul, we could make a case of being faultless, but not sinless, not perfect. The righteousness of God comes by faith. And that's Romans 1 and Romans 3 and so many of those other passages of Scripture that you see on the outline there. Where Paul realizes and and announces, this is why the gospel is such great news. Because it talks about the righteousness of God that comes by faith. Not by measuring up. And the reason it can come not by measuring up but by faith is because Jesus measured up for us. He measured up where we did not. And that's why it's good news. If it was just another law that said you have to do this, 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 and this, and you can't do this, 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 and this, and that's what saves you, that wouldn't be good news at all, would it? That would be the law. And yes, we're raised to live a new life as Christians, and Paul certainly talks in this whole letter about that, but that's not what saves us. Paul said, oh, I've been there, done that. I did that better than anybody, and it didn't save me. And so I left it behind. That's what he says here in powerful, powerful words of verse 7. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And he had gained a lot. And he let it go. So as you've thought about your old purpose and your old way of becoming righteous and the things that you look at in your life that you hold on to as being of utmost importance, can you let them go? For the righteousness of God that comes by faith. 
Ultimately, Paul decided that he could, but it took a one-on-one with Jesus of Nazareth, the resurrected Lord, to do it. The righteousness of God comes by faith. And then Paul ultimately gets to that point where he says, I press on this one thing I do. Verse 13, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What does it mean? Well, it means forgetting what is behind. And that means the good things and the bad things. As Paul goes through that list, there are lots of good things. A Hebrew of Hebrews, faultless according to the law, a Pharisee, tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the right day. I mean, I had it all, he says. But he gave that up. All the good things that we have in our past, if that's what we're trusting in for our purpose, for our mission, for our salvation, that's not enough. Whatever it is, it's not enough because it's not perfect. And it can't bring that for which Jesus died. Not just salvation, but the hope of heaven. Forgetting what is behind the good things, but also the bad things. And again, that's why Jesus had to come and had to die. And it's the one thing we all share in common. One of the words Kelly mentioned was unity and community. And that's what we all share. We all share the fact that we're all sinners. No matter how pretty we look, no matter how nice we dress, no matter how uh, great we are, <laughs> it's, we're all sinners. And as such, we're all in that same boat. And we're all looking for someone else to save us. And that someone else is Jesus. And he has. He has saved us. He died on the cross for us. As Romans 5 put it, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I press on, forgetting what is behind, the good and the bad, and straining toward what is ahead. Straining towards it, looking, looking to, to do everything I can to get there. Straining toward what is ahead, not in order to be saved, he's already saved us. But straining toward what, it, what is ahead, as he said in chapter 2, so that we can bring this to completion. Through the work of God. Forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, pressing on toward the goal of heaven. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. And the morning breaks eternal bright and fair. When the saved of earth shall gather over on that other shore. And the roll is called up yonder, what? I'll be there. Will you? If you're trusting in yourself... I don't think so. But if you're trusting in the one who is the perfect sacrifice. If you like Paul have forgotten what's behind and are straining towards ahead, what is ahead and pressing on towards the goal. You will be there. Not because you're so great but because Jesus is so great. And that's why Paul starts this chapter by saying rejoice in the Lord. That's why he goes to chapter 4 and says rejoice in the Lord Always, I will say it again, rejoice. We've talked about the old purpose. We've talked about the new purpose. Now he speaks about the battle over my purpose. And these words, as much as any in this passage, speak to us today. Not just as 21st century Christians, but as 21st century American 
Christians. The battle over my purpose, starting in verse 15 of chapter 3 of Philippians. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together, verse 17, in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Look among your congregation and find those who are living faithfully. Not perfectly, but faithfully. And model after them. Verse 18, for as as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Something that He speaks about, this hope of heaven in passages like 2 Corinthians 5 and 1 Thessalonians 4 and that Jesus reveals to John in the Revelation at the end. And so Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we know that we have a home there. And Paul says, I'm straining toward that. I'm forgetting what is behind. I'm pressing on so that maybe somehow or another, this hope that I have of heaven will be realized one day. And that's my purpose recognizing our citizenship is in heaven, but as a part of that, secondly, this is my temporary home. The great Carrie Underwood sang that song, and if you've never heard it, I hope sometime this week you'll Google it and listen to it. This is my temporary home, and it's a powerful, powerful song. And I want us to emphasize a couple of things from that. First of all, this is my home. This is my home. We're here. We live as human beings. We live as 21st century human beings. We live as 21st century Americans. This is our home. And so we care about it. And as John shared in in his prayer, we pray for it. I pray for our country every day, and I know you do as well. I've gotten in the habit over the last few years of separating my long prayers into three parts because that's just the way I am, you know, one, two, and three. One is my family. Secondly is this church. And thirdly is our country. And that's right for us to do that and to pray and to pray hard and to seek to help however we can. This is my home, but this is my temporary home. We're not here forever. In the great scheme of things, we're not even here for long. Even the ones of us that live the longest. This is my temporary home. This world is not my permanent home. I'm just a what? I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere else. And that's my hope. That's my home. 
That's my purpose to get there. Everything else comes after. Even if it's very important, it comes after. And when Paul says these things to the church at Philippi, they get it. The city of Philippi, again in the northern part of modern-day Greece, was founded by Alexander the Great in the 4th century B.C. And he, he named that city after his dad, Philip of Macedon. This city had a great cultural impact from the word go. And when the Romans came in and took over, they made it a Roman colony, which gave it even more status in the Roman Empire. And now Paul is there, and he's writing to them, and he'd already told them in chapter too about making sure that they live as ideal citizens, not of this country, but of of heaven, of the kingdom of Christ. And now he's even stronger in saying in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. This is our temporary home. And these people were people, I think, more like us than a lot of others in the New Testament. Probably more like us than the ones Peter writes to. Peter writes to individuals who had no power, no place, no position whatsoever in their communities and in their home. But that's not true of us. And it wasn't true of the Philippians either. And so we need the same reminder. This is my temporary home. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so it is our home and we care about it, but we have to remember this is my temporary home. Our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. And that should be our purpose. That should be our mission. That should inform inform everything else about what we do and how we live. And how is that? Well, that's number three. To live here is Christ and to die is gain. This is a direct quote with one added word in brackets from chapter 1. As Paul was considering whether he would live or die, he said, well, it makes no difference to me, as we used to say from our days in Turkey when I was a kindergartner, mox nix, whichever, either way is okay. If I live, it's Christ living in me. And if I die, it's gain. If I die, then I have pressed on and have realized that for which I hope and hold dear more than anything else. I want to know Christ and to know the power of his resurrection. And so somehow to be able to join in that same resurrection. This is my new purpose. To live here in this world is Christ. This is my temporary home. It's not where I belong. Windows and rooms that I'm passing through. This was just a step on the way to where I'm going. I'm not afraid because I know this is my temporary home. To live here is Christ. And to die is is gain and Satan doesn't want that to be my purpose and he doesn't want that to be your purpose any more than he wanted it to be Paul's and so the battle rages in all sorts of ways and Satan will throw anything at us he can to get Jesus off the throne of our hearts and to get this purpose out and something else in And it really doesn't matter to him what that is. 
just so it takes over the number one spot. That's all he cares about. And we can't let it happen. As we'll see in a moment, we already have the victory in Jesus in that battle. And so a final question, does my purpose bring me joy? Does my purpose bring me joy? And I don't think it's any accident that that's the theme of the book of Philippians and that's the theme of chapter 4 even. As I said, we'll look at that next week and it's where Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And if you come to me and you say, well, look, Bill, with everything going on in the world and all the craziness in our country and the craziness in our communities and the craziness in my family and uh, the craziness in the job world and How can I rejoice? Because rejoice in the Lord. And if you can't rejoice today, let me ask you another question. Not why can't you, but what is your purpose? Because if you've lost sight of your purpose, then all of these things that are around us will take over. But here's Paul the Apostle, having been beaten at times, stoned nearly to death at times, almost split apart by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, arrested, tried, had to appeal to the pagan emperor to get a fair trial, and now he's sitting there under house arrest in the center of the Roman Empire, in Rome itself, wondering if he's going to get set free or killed. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always, I'll say it again. Rejoice. The only way he could do that, the only way you or I can do that today, is if this is my purpose. If that one thing that Curly said for me is the same thing that it was for Paul the Apostle, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. I press on. The reason we can have joy in our lives is because we have victory in Jesus. If we can help you experience that yourself, we'd love to. Come as we stand, sing this great song together.